It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at luckylandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Seahawks fans, wherever you may be, welcome back for another edition of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. Join your hosts, Bill Alpstead, and co-host, sports writer and football analyst, Keith Myers, as we talk Seahawks football. Hey, Seahawks fans. Welcome back to another episode of the Seahawks Playbook Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Offset, sitting down with co-host Keith Myers, here to talk Seahawks football. Uh, today's kind of a unique show. We're just, uh, we're kind of doing a show off of an article, basically. Uh, John Boyle uh, for Seahawks.com uh, had some really nice insights into the draft. He was inside the draft room for all three days of this year's draft and uh, wrote about essentially what he saw what he heard and uh it was it was pretty interesting i thought and uh kind of a fun fun read and you've probably seen it out there a few uh a few other shows kind of talked about it a little bit and we're going to kind of do our thing as well uh how you doing keith doing good um yeah it's it's it's, it's rare we get um one of these things that we're just like oh you know what we really need to talk about this on the show um uh, but this is such a cool unique insight into everything because he was in the room um normally they've got that there's the war room and there's a camera like a webcam uh peeking in so that right. way and then then but the media members are in a different room um so no they can audio. see that but they can't hear anything and then somebody comes in and tells them um who the pick is or what the trade is um usually before it's announced on tv and that kind of stuff so the media members that are there present um have that information and can do do stuff with it um but in this case like he was literally in the room um listening to the conversations eavesdropping in on um phone calls about trades and all of that kind of stuff so uh really really interesting um and unique perspective absolutely you know and you and i talk all the time about what we don't know about the draft about the prospects you know uh we we can watch the tape uh we can follow their college careers all the way from high school um we, they, they go to the combine they go to the senior bowl we we get all of that stuff but the most important things about each of those players comes with the private meetings the interviews the the scouts that watch them and, and interact with their coaches and, and other players to talk about them and, and how they deal with adversity and etc uh, as well as then, uh, the other side of the coin is, is this very thing. What actually goes on in the, in the pre-draft process? How do they evaluate players? Where, where does their board stack up? Um, now we didn't get exactly that as far as knowing who all was on their board and so forth, but we did have an idea of kind of how things fell out 
uh, the way the draft went and kind of what they were doing uh, around each one of those picks uh, that was kind of detailed in this article. And we'll kind of go through a few things. Um, it, it goes very specifically, you know, pick by pick right at the top. But let's let's jump into where uh, the Seahawks uh, start um, because that's essentially, um, you know, I think once Arizona traded out of their pick, uh, mm-hmm. was, was kind of the key moment for the Seahawks. They knew they were going to be on track. Uh, basically at that point, Houston came up, grabbed that pick, uh, for back-to-back picks, um, in the draft and chose Will Anderson. The Colts then took Anthony Richardson. Seattle then is on the clock. Um, it, it talks about John Boyle writes, uh, Schneider calls back the general manager looking to trade up. And the conversation is very brief. We're picking, Schneider says. Schneider's next call is to Witherspoon. Mm-hmm. Um, he, and then he, he called Witherspoon. He said, we had a great visit with you, so we want you to get your ass back out here to Seattle, okay? We're going to select you right here. Um, so so th- these little insights are, are really kind of cool. Um, we don't actually hear those moments uh, sometimes, and, uh, and that's great. Um, what do you think about that process early on in the draft? where there was a lot of uncertainty uh even for for seattle they just really didn't know what teams were going to do in front of them they had an idea but it really needed to play out before they kind of knew their own course of action yeah i mean the trade with arizona um to made it so that houston took that pick is is um the thing that was unique but in the end you knew that uh young was going first stroud was going second um right. Anderson was going third um and that there was going to be a quarterback taken four to Indy we didn't know which one a lot of speculation that it was going to be Will Levis and ended up being Richardson um I honestly think that if they had taken Levis Seattle would have taken Richardson um there um or maybe someone would have paid a lot more to move up to get Richardson and Seattle mm-hmm. would have moved down because now suddenly the, the asking price just went through the roof and they were able to, to get a, a haul. There's but, conflicting reports there, Keith. It's like, uh, I think uh, Bob Condotta said um, it was either going to be Witherspoon or it was going to be Anderson. And they felt like it, they weren't going to be in a position to draft Richardson this year and sit on him uh, based on how much they were going to have to pay at that spot in the draft. And the investment at the, at the quarterback position um versus taking best player available uh which would have been witherspoon on their board um but when you take a look at positional value obviously you've got to think at least twice about richardson there at five mm-hmm. if he's available um and you kind of solve that position you know for the long term right there potentially um yeah. but but it, but it's really interesting it's really and i also like the the part that they where you read was that um Snyder had been on the phone. He had he had was working on trades. He um, had talked to another GM of someone who wanted to move up. Um, and when five when they got to five, and Witherspoon was there, he just called him back and said, "Now nah, we're picking." Um, because yeah. he was he was the guy. This isn't a well we couldn't get a trade work together. And, um, and you know, Snyder he was the top guy on the board. Like, you know, it wasn't later that situation that they had options to go back uh with trade back um, yeah and then he said witherspoon was our guy we really knew that if he was there we were we weren't going to trade back mm-hmm. um and he, he said once indy picked we had a clear-cut idea of where we were headed everyone in the room just felt a sigh of relief so we called off the dogs on other trades and went ahead and picked him and it felt great so that's 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 the way that went down um, and then, uh, you know, right off camera in, in the draft room immediately, Carol said, he's the closest thing I've seen mentally wise to Troy Palomano. Uh, and then he, he repeated that quote, you know, to the media, uh, a few hours later. Um, but I thought that was interesting as well. All right. Um, as the, as, and, and Boyle writes, as the middle part of the first round moves along, the Seahawks are getting closer to their second of two picks on the night. Washington takes cornerback Emmanuel Forbes at 16. The Seahawks have four players left on their board with first round grades with three picks to go. Uh, so that 
little bit of information right there is important in that um, we know now that Seattle really just had 20 players on their board and four were left by the time um, the 16th player came off the board and that Mm -hmm. they were going to get one of their uh, other uh, first round grade players at 20. Yeah, and that that is um, so they knew they were going to get and you don't trade back in that situation because if you're at 20 and you've got a player with the first round grade, you take them. And if you trade back to like 24 in order to pick up some more picks, now you're picking someone that you don't have a first round grade on anymore. Uh, right. Now you're p- taking a second round player in in the first round. And so you, they're in a situation where they were picking at 20. They weren't moving back. Unless, um, unless somebody's just throwing you a boatload of picks that's overvalued, um, you, yeah. you take in consideration uh, that. But you're right. If your players are no longer valued on the board, you might as well be trading back two or three times right there because if you're going to pick at the top of the second round, your value is is almost equal to, to picking at 20 and having a second-round grade on Okay. Yeah. So, okay, and then, um, you know, as soon as Kalijah Kansi was taken 19, um, Schneider tells everyone that was in the room that if we're picking, it's going to be Jackson Smith on uh, Jigba, meaning there was no hesitation. Like if we, like if, if we don't get a, a, an awesome offer here, he's our guy because he's the guy on the top of the board. Um, and they were, um, they went ahead. They talked about things. They had some options, um, but honestly, they didn't. Uh, the only thing was they they thought about you know they they talked with the um, VP of Health and Player Performance who's um, Sam Ramsden um, about Najigma's like hamstring and whether or not that's going to be fine and he gave the them a, a clean bill of health and said no nah, just do it and yeah so they were able to grab him and the Seahawks had Najigma as a top ten player in the draft. And they were able to yep. get him at 20. So they were yeah. excited. So Matt Miller at ESPN um, just tweeted today, in fact, uh, his list of, of top um, grades in the draft as far as players picked and when they were uh, picked. And he ranked Jackson Smith and Jigba as the number one overall draft value in, in the entire draft. Um because he had valued him as his number five overall prospect and, and Seattle was able to get him at 20. Um, so that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So it's, it's interesting, uh, how, how that kind of shook out. We all thought maybe they'd trade back a little bit. Nolan Smith was on the board there. Uh, a few reach players that we talked about earlier in the draft process in, um, the center prospect Schmitz, as well as Mozzie Smith was still on the board. Seattle elected just to go best player available. They they did this two years in a row now, where I think that, that this entire draft process has shown that they were just going to stick to their board. And it, regardless of need, I mean, need has to factor in there a little bit, but it's not the predominant predominant uh, thing that they're looking for. And so yeah, that, was, and, that was pretty uh, cool. Ultimately, I mean, I, I do like that. Do you, you, you start needing, oh, we, there's you know a need you start reaching you start getting players you know way earlier than they probably should have gone based on their talent because you're well they're the best defensive end and we don't want to lose them um and by not doing that they end up you end up with better players um the only thing when it comes to all of this that that gives me a little pause is that they're taking guys at you know positions like cornerback and wide receiver rather than the trenches offensive defensive line um because i think oh, that let's, let's talk that's, about that that's 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 to me that's a philosophical thing i think offense and defensive line are more valuable to winning um than but do you necessarily have to expend those things based on the depth of the draft itself uh some of those players some of those very good players in fact starter level level caliber players might be available in, in day two in rounds two and three possibly even as far as four but when you talk about premier talent at corner premier talent at wide receiver or quarterback for that example you got to get those guys up at the top yeah i don't know if i agree that you could that the the quality at wide receiver 
dropped off faster than the quality of um, defensive tackle. I think the uh, the opposite's true. I think the the quality of defensive tackle dropped off much faster than the quality of uh, of wide receiver. And as you saw when I, we did my shadow draft, getting a guy like Mims at, at, with the fourth pick um, was is still a you know a really really good receiver, but there weren't any that that quality guards or defensive tackles left. Those guys were all, all gone by then. Um, so it's just a, it like I said it and it comes down to, to expending where how do you expend your resources? I think you should always make the biggest investment whether it be free agent spending or draft capital on the trenches. That's where football games are won and lost. Um, and you proved that when you did your shadow draft and we just had that episode published um, just yesterday. And yep. uh, and you did exactly that. Your first four picks focused on the interior uh, offense and defensive lines. And I, I yeah. thought you had a great draft in that respect. Um, you know, that after those picks, it's kind of a wash, you know. Uh, mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's harder whatever. to establish value or whatever, but those first four are really important. And let's talk about the, the next two for Seattle. Um, yeah. you know, the, uh, Boyle, uh, says the second round's underway with Notre Dame tight end, Michael Mayer going to the Raiders at number 35. The Seahawks are two picks away with their top target heading into day two still available. Okay. So that's important. They've already got their guy that they they're targeting. He's still on their board. Also, um, he says, remember how we said earlier that at as the 20th pick approaches, the Seahawks still had four players with first-round grades left on their board. A day later, one still remains, and it's Auburn outside linebacker Derek Hall standing out alone on the top row of Seattle's board. Yep. So, and then the other, the next, like, um, at 432, the Rams pick TCU guard Steve Avila, and a big cheer goes up around the room. The Seahawks won't be trading. Yeah, because so you know that a, Steve, Steve Avila then was not probably on their on their board or, or wasn't the type of player that they he wasn't the for. top. He wasn't certainly wasn't the top player on their board. They saw Hall as a first round pick, like he had a first round grade, and there were only 20 players with first round grades. There were 31 players picked in the first round, but the CX only had 20 that they thought were first round caliber. Right. Um, and one of them fell to them in round two. Which essentially they, means they feel like they got three first round picks. Yeah. So they weren't, they weren't saying no to that. And I know that, you know, we had talked about, you know, the CX moving back and getting extra picks and, and doing some of that uh, or moving, getting some picks next year when, when it's a deeper draft and um, that kind of thing. But you you go through this and you go, they never really considered trading uh, at I mean, five. Like they, yes, they were talking, but as soon as Witherspoon was there, they were like, nope, we're done. And right. um, in this case, uh, as soon as, you know, Avila was the pick right before and they knew that Hall had fallen to them, we're not, they're not, um, they're not trading. Like they're, right. they're not even open for business. Um and with Smith Najigma, like I think the only thing they had was he's going to be the guy. We're a little worried about his hamstring because he only played in three games last year, but um, you know, he's still the guy. So someone had to really blow them away mm -hmm. to have um the CX not pick them. This isn't a case like in past years where they wanted to move down but couldn't find a trade partner and just took someone. The guys that that they wanted fell to them, and they took them. And the trade yeah. offers didn't matter that much. So at this point in the draft, the draft has gone pretty much as as well as the Seahawks had hoped. Not us as fans, but the Seahawks had hoped. Um, it, it it fell just that way. Now Hall, if he was gone prior to their pick at thirty seven, from what I understand, the Seahawks were prepared to take Zach Charbonnet at thirty seven if they couldn't find a trade back partner um, mm -hmm. at that, at that spot. So Hall goes off the board. They're, they're working the phones. They're trying to trade back a little bit. Uh, if they can't do that, they're prepared to take Zach Charbonnet at 37. And then somebody else would be, had been at 52. I found that interesting as well. Um, okay. Yeah, so they clearly val valued Charbonnet high. Um, 
and he fell and they were he was available later which is great for them so let's let's count down to the the pick 52 after tampa bay takes north dakota state guard cody mock at 48 seattle's three picks away from being on the clock again at number 52 and they only have a few players left with second round grades the steelers take wisconsin defensive tackle keanu benton a player that see the seahawks liked though not their top player left on their board followed by green bay selecting uh, michigan state receiver Jaden reed seahawks are almost on the clock again but carol who's only Comfortable if he's multitasking one eye on the corner of the room, showing a basketball game, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the Dolphins then select Cam Smith, uh, the cornerback. Uh, Schneider's on the phone with the team trying to move up, but a deal doesn't materialize. Charbonnet is the top player left and who the Seahawks want to pick, but they're still going to use their time um, in, in case a deal comes up that they can't pass. Uh, Carroll says, go with the Borg um, to, to, uh, to Waldron. And he's in the he's in the room. He's a heck of a player. And then Schneider makes the call to Charbonneau, and he's the pick. So, yeah. you know, it's it, I I I actually love this process. They're working the deals. They're they're figuring it out. They're trusting their board. Um, and it, it really kind of all came together for them. Now, from our perspective, when we were watching the draft together, Keith, we were just a bit frustrated because. We had spent the previous three months talking about interior trench players that would help this team. This is where the biggest holes were, and we came through free agency still with some of those holes yet to be solved, and we were looking to do that in the draft, and we saw players go that we knew could help see the, the Seahawks, and, and Keanu Benton was one of those players. He, he obviously went off the board earlier, but we could have got him at, at uh, 37, for example. And we wouldn't have thought that that would have been a reach. That would have been a solid pick. Now, Derek Hall's a fine pick. player, and we didn't have him rated as a first-round grade. He was borderline second, third round is where we kind of talked about him in our draft process. Mm -hmm. And so there was a little bit of frustration there, but you, you kind of have to, at that point, you've just got to trust that the Seahawks have, you know, dozens of scout area scouts that, and, and the general manager is one of the finest general managers in the NFL coach, Pete Carroll and, and others are in this war room and they've been there for like weeks at this point. And they're, they're literally, you know, doing the best job that they can and uh, obviously better than, than we could do. Yeah. And uh, you and I may not have um, put hall as a first round grade, but the CX did. And when it came time, like he was the top player on their board and that's who they, they picked. They didn't pick the guy that's, um, you know, fourth on their board. Cause he's, you know, a more valuable position whenever they took the top player on the board. Um, and then in fact, um, out of the first four picks, you know, the, in rounds one and two, all four times, they took the guy that was at the very top of the board when they were making their pick. Um, there was no, shifting around they just trusted the board and went with it and that is the process that should happen yeah that's that's there's the no process. second guessing there's no arguing or bantering between coaches or you know no all that was done all that was done week a couple weeks earlier there, there's yeah, right the, the board is set they believe that um charbonnet is the best player available not you know, that's not just like, oh, yeah, we're going to use that as our justification. No, he literally was the top player on their board. So they took him. Yeah. All right. So Seahawks had another pick in round three, pick 83 overall. Um, as they got closer to that point in the draft, um, it looked like they were more and more uncomfortable with the players uh, left available for them to select. And they had a couple of trade options of available to them. And they decided to get on the phone with Denver um, while Seattle's on the clock and basically rehash a trade they'd already set up. And, you know, Schneider's just repeating the terms of the trade. And I wanted to, to uh, put out this detail. He clears up one more detail with Denver, which of their two third round picks uh, next year is coming back to Seattle in the deal. Um, from what I understand, it's either the, it's the later of either Denver's own third rounder or the one they acquired in a trade with new Orleans. So we get one of those 
uh, whichever is the later one. Mm-hmm. They'll, so they'll, they'll anyway, that's similar picks. Yeah. So they make this trade. They, they, they move back to the fourth round trade out of the third round, move to pick one Oh eight overall, which is fairly early in the fourth round. So not, you know, a huge move, uh, 25 picks later, something like that. <coughs> Excuse me. And, uh, but we picked up Denver's third round pick in 2024, which is, uh, considerably, um, a, a valuable pick. And, um, essentially just by moving back 24 spots, we pick up a, a third round pick. And, um, I, I kind of love that move, especially if they have grades on players that are somewhat equal in value, uh, mm-hmm. for, for that duration of the draft. And it sounds like they, they did. And then they ended up picking a player that they had valued in the third round. Um, so also at the, so at the end, of, we're at the end of day two. And as I'm going through this article, there, there's a, a detail in here that um, doesn't really mean much as far as the draft, but um, it talks about knowing that um, Seattle's day is done. Uh Jody Allen was like, let's get some hockey on in here. Um, <laughs> right. And because wanting to have the, um, the Seattle Kraken playoff game on one of the TVs. Um, and I find that to be interesting. One, because, you know, it's another Seattle team and she's she's rooting for and, and wants it on there. But other but she's present. She's not here making these decisions. A la, uh, Jerry Jones. Um she's not asking to approve every one of them. She trusts the people in front of her, but she's still present. She's still part of uh, the room and what's going on. Um, she's asking questions and all of that, which is a stark contrast to what I hear living. Because um, uh, I live down in Vancouver uh, now, which is, you know, a suburb of Portland. And all we hear constantly about uh, Jody Allen with is with the Blazers and how she's a complete absentee owner and she has no say. She doesn't care. Like nothing. There's nothing to do with basketball in her life. Yeah. Um. And there's free to do whatever. And there's no ownership that actually wants them to, is pushing them to win. Um. And I find that that it's just such a stark contrast between that. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she's there all three days of the draft in the war room with the Seahawks, it's just, a, it's like, it's just a different situation. And she has a great relationship with Snyder and Carol. I mean, just she does. And, you know, there's been massive speculation the last two years uh, with those two heading into off season meetings with them right after the season ends about their jobs being on the line and all that kind of, you know, just over and over rehashed endlessly. And um, she has complete confidence in those guys mm-hmm. uh that's apparent and trust them with this process and and with the team and and driving the car so i think we can put that to rest all right um snyder went on to to later detail in his press conference that he saw pl- uh, several players go off the board and that there were upsets in this draft meaning that they didn't expect uh, a certain player to go that early in the draft or, or right before that they they selected and they kind of had to pivot um and he said it was one of the probably the, the most random drafts that they've had in the 14 years that they've been doing this here in Seattle. So uh, I thought that was interesting as well. And and you deal with that. Uh, and and they do deal with that uh, every year. And they do it well. Um, and and mm-hmm. the insights into this process really kind of show that, that they're able to uh, respond uh, quickly. They're always on the phone with other teams looking to move around. Sometimes those work via Denver. Sometimes they don't. So, okay. So the other let's... thing, when he was saying about the upsets is um, there was a bunch of guys that the CX had basically what they call their medical board. They're guys that they have a, an evaluation on, but they're not drafting them because they, it doesn't matter how far they drop. They, they didn't pass the medical um, exams. And so he, they had them on the, on the medical board. And he said a bunch of guys came off that and that they had guys come off their free agent board. And they're in the third round. The guys that the CX had rated as um, yeah. undrafted free agent level. Yeah. And they were, you know, it's selected. interesting, Keith. And we talked about this many times. It's not just the Seahawks in a draft, it's 31 other teams as well. And their yep. evaluation process and so forth. Everyone has got an idea of what the, uh, the draft should look like and what players are valued to them and, and on and on and on. It's, it's crazy. It really is interesting uh, how it all works. All right. 
So Seattle's uh, close to being on the clock in the fourth round. A few picks go off the board. Um, Keely Ringo goes a, a few picks before Seattle picks at 108. Jake Andrews, one of the top centers uh, left on the board, um, goes to New England. Um, John Boyle writes, this gets a bit of reaction from the room, but not that big of one because the Seahawks had another interior uh, lineman in mind for pick number 108 anyway, as well as another center they really like and would get later in the day. Now that's him just speculating a little bit and kind of throwing that in there at this point in the draft. Seattle would have no idea if he was going to be available later on, you know, at this point, but that was kind of their idea and their plan. And he didn't write this live, right? This is him taking all of his notes and recapping um, what he saw. Um, But yeah, knowing, I mean, the fact that the CX did get a center they really like later in the day is hindsight. But the fact that they were looking, yeah, they want this is a center they liked, but they liked this other offense this guard more right so he was so the center was never going to be the pick unless the guard had gone in one of the picks before um and so i thought that that part was kind of interesting yeah so anthony bradford uh from lsu comes to seattle at pick 108 uh should come in immediately uh and at least compete for a starting spot there uh with haynes over at right guard so that's that's great um so as they move forward um Schneider's on the phone while Carol Barry and defensive coordinator Clint Hurt discuss the upcoming pick. Um, you know, there's some other picks that go off the board. Uh, Clint Hurt's watching nervously unless Seattle makes a trade, which is always possible. He's one pick away from getting a big interior lineman for his defense. So long as Arizona doesn't beat Seattle to it. Cardinals go with, uh, offensive guard, John Haynes from UCLA meaning Seattle's back on the clock and Hurt is getting his nose tackle he wants for his defense. And uh, and so Young is the pick, Cameron Young. Um, and so I, I love that, that, you know, um, Hurt's really excited about the pick. That's the guy that they targeted and wanted and came away with, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. so, I mean, that's, it's one of those things you could, and the way he wrote it is you could say that, it, that Clint Hurt's sitting there nervous. Because there's a guy he wants, but he's yeah. not part of the he's not part of the decision tree. If they ask for his input, he'll give it. But um, you know, there's other people that are involved in actually making these decisions. But he knows he can see the board. Yeah, he knows there's this guy he wants that player, um, and he's waiting, and he's real nervous, thinking <laughs> that someone's going to grab the guy that he really wants. Um, and then it didn't ha- that didn't happen, and he ended up able to get him. And it's like there's that celebration, um, and those are kind of those, I I love those little moments, uh, yeah. right? Because you get coaches that are like, "Yes, we got our guy. Like, get in here. Let's get to work." And it's like they're excited to work with this player and that kind of stuff. And it just um, just shows you, like, it's not just like you know X's and O's and you know chess pieces and whatever. These are people, and they. Um, absolutely love what they do and all that so it's just fun yeah so seattle's on the clock again at 151 there was some discussion earlier uh, possibly about trading and so forth that did not materialize um because the guy that they were wanting at that spot was on the board for them so they selected mike morris um and hurt gets back on the phone with him and tells him you don't have to worry about backing up from the table anymore you keep that uh, you keep those damn calories on you hear me um, so he's, he's telling Morris, who's normally plays around 295, he's going to need to probably come in and eventually get to around 310, I would imagine, mm-hmm. as far as, as far as weight goes. Okay. And then, uh, go ahead. I like this next, this next part because at 154, um, one of the guys has a trade offer on the phone and asks Snyder if they, um, want to go back with no hesitation. Snyder gives a quick no before realizing realizing that in the interest of leaving no stone and hurt, he should at least hear um, what Harlan has to tell him. Um, he realized the trade details and it's still a no, says Schneider, and they make their pick. Um, like he, he, again, this is one and, of those situations and where- And Carol shouts, we got him. Yeah. Um, this is, uh, it's another one of those situations where a guy fell to them they and they're not getting cute that's their guy they're gonna go get him he's a top player on their board and it's someone that 
they really wanted and but we're still patient enough to get him in the fifth round and not reach for him earlier yeah we're talking no, that, about michigan great. center um olu um Oluwatimi. yeah i think yeah. i said that Oluwatimi. terribly yeah. yeah you did it you did it about as good as anybody i've heard so far um you know i think it's it's great uh i i wanted to read this part that carol said i know it's been a long wait for you but we've got your but you've got your place now you've got to really uh, you've got a really competitive opportunity too you come in here with your mindset you're going to come out and get this job and see if you can own this thing you're going to get a real good opportunity to take a look at it so that to me indicates that they expect him to come right in and compete for the starting job in training. Absolutely. So that's that's music to my ears. Get a starting center in the fifth round out of this draft. Potentially get a starting guard in the fourth round. You take a look at the top four picks in this draft. All are going to be impact players, starters, or, or, or rotation pieces immediately. This draft could, in fact, equal in impact the 2022 draft Keith. which would be insane and, and what you didn't mention in there is um a massive nose tackle and a disruptive uh three tech that's that's pretty quick yeah. um those guys are probably both going to be rotational guys as a rookie but they will have an impact in the next couple of years um provided that they stay healthy and all that but um yeah, to have six or seven of your players in a draft come in and, and really be able to compete right away. Now, that that's twofold. It shows that the uh, there are some holes and uh, less quality mm-hmm. depth on this roster than we'd like it to be. So you've got rookies able to come in right away and, and take starting jobs and, and compete. Or you, you've got such a high-quality draft um, based in part on where we're picking in the draft you know, we've got two high selections, uh, two uh, day two selections. Uh, we had a third. Um, and, and when you do that, and you've got five picks in the top 100 or whatever, you're going to end up with impact players, um, no matter what your roster looks like. Yeah. All right. So they, they keep going, obviously. Um, and they're on the clock again. And New Mexico safety, Jarek Reed is the pick. Um, and, uh, this is a fun little story. This, this, yeah. this part. Go ahead. I mean, go you, ahead and tell this one. Well, so what you've got is you've got, um, area scout, um, Ryan Florence, who has basically been pounding the table for, um, Jarek Reed. He's just like, no, this kid is really good. You're going to love him. We need him. We, he's a guy we need him in our, um, uh, on our team. And was has just been pounding the table for him, and um, you know, basically, Schneider's like, "All right, we're you're we're gonna get you your guy," and he doesn't even like, Schneider doesn't make the call um, to read to tell him. Um, he lets uh, Florence do it, which is absolutely unheard of. Um, and so you're actually you take let this scout who. Um, clearly knows this kid now because he's talked to him a few times and yep. um, has been pounding the table for him, gets to make the call and be like, hey, you're coming up here. We're we're about to pick you. And I think that's just kind of a cool moment. Yeah, he said, Jay Reed, hey, it's Flo. <laughs> we're we're going to make you a Seahawk right here. You're going to come on in here, get to work and kick some ass. You know, and, and Schneider uh, recalled at the press conference, he's one of our favorite players. Carol praised his aggressiveness and toughness. So, Love that pick. Um, you know, I, I watched a little bit of tape today. He's a scrappy little guy, uh, comes up and, and runs support and makes tackles. He's not just one of those guys that tries to hit and hit guys low or hit them hard and, and not wrap up. He's definitely a wrap up tackler as well as hitting hard, um, in coverage. Uh, one of the things I did note is he doesn't get his head around. He, he's, he, he, he had a few interceptions but those kind of came to him uh, that were kind of thrown to him. Uh, he did have some deflections, um, some pass breakups, but but some of those were due to just his hands being in uh, the receiver's arms, but his head was still turned away from the ball. So I want him to work on that a little bit. 
Um, but overall, it's a fun pick at that point in the draft. The guy's going to come in and compete right away for special teams, make the roster, hopefully, and then just go from there. So yep. at the end of the draft, you know, um, what what happened with pick 237 was that Schneider just basically said that that John, uh, Georgia running back Kenny McIntosh was, uh, regardless of his testing numbers, which were poor, Mm-hmm. Um, he was just too good of a football player to still be available at this point in the draft and their clear best player available on their board. And that's why they went in that direction. Yeah. And then the other half of that story is just that when they call him to tell him, you know, that they're drafting him, that he was just crying. The emotions just overwhelmed him and couldn't really say much back and was just so happy that to get his um, dream to be able to, you know, be drafted and, and play for an NFL team. Um, and he was just crying the whole time. And 20 minutes later, when they did the conference call with the media, um, it hadn't changed that he was yeah. still in that state. So yeah. guy that was just absolutely um, super excited about getting his opportunity to come play for the Seahawks. And I mean, those are, those are the stories. Like, you know how hard these kids have worked. Absolutely. Um, especially yeah, some of these guys started. that are that are uh, seventh round picks, like they they may not have been high recruited into college. They they get they've gotten by by working harder than 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 other guys, and to have it pay off and for them and get an opportunity in the NFL is 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 just it's amazing. Like I, it's one of those things where you would hope that everyone at some point in their life has that feeling, like that experience of being able to put accomplishing that much work into something some accomplishment and have it come through yeah like um and it's just these are these are the cool stories that i that i love about the draft i agree and i mentioned earlier in in the other show that we did uh about Derek hall Derek hall is a preemie uh baby born four months early Mm -hmm. born uh without a pulse without a heartbeat without breathing and they had to resuscitate him there on the on the floor his mom said that he fit in the palm of her hand was like just over two pounds um spent you know months in the emergency or not in uh, in iu mm-hmm. um and that's just great and then went on to be a one of the greatest football players in college football it's it's just one of those amazing stories i'm so interested in in figuring him out and and having him come in and and using some of that grit and determination and leadership qualities that he's got to be able to affect this roster. You know, Pete Carroll and John Snyder both said the common theme in this draft was toughness, toughness and physicality. Carroll said really from the top to bottom, it's a group that's really going to demonstrate that we're fired up about that. So, and I am too, because there was a time for probably, you know, from between 2000, I'm going to say 2016 to 2019, maybe 2020 Seahawks lost their edge. Yeah, they, they lost their physicality. They lost their personality. Marshawn Lynch left. Uh, a few players in the, on the back end, um, Richard Sherman, Cam Chancellor, Cliff Averill, uh, Earl Thomas, all gone. And those guys were the guys that basically established the heartbeat of this team and the leadership and the physicality and just the attitude. And when that goes, your team's soft. We were not mm-hmm. only soft, but we... We didn't have any speed, so we were just not very good. And um, you know, credit to Pete Carroll and company for and, and Russell Wilson for basically pulling us into the into the playoffs and and uh, you know getting better throughout those years. Even though I thought the identity of the team was was a little less than, um, yeah. But to see that now coming back and being an important um, kind of tip of the spear moment for this team, I'm excited about that. Yeah, it is pretty cool to see this team like kind of taking that. Um, I mean, you look at what they what they've done. Like they they've got the best young um, set of ta- um, tandem of corners in the NFL. They've drafted um, guys that are tough, physical, sure tacklers that like to hit people. And and um, you know, there's nothing soft. There's nothing finesse about these guys. These guys are, um, there's a, there's a toughness and yeah. 
you you need that in the NFL. You need that aspect because you get too finessed, you get too cute with things, and someone will show up and basically punch you in the mouth and 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 beat you. You've got to be able to stand up and 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 fight with those guys. And the CX haven't been able to do that very well um, since yeah, since Sherman and left and and Chancellor um, got hurt and um, you know. Uh, beast mode retired like Mm -hmm. those were the guys that just really brought it and they just made everyone else come up to that level of energy and they've been missing that and i hope that that this draft class and a guy like uh treak woolen um just helps them get it back yeah well it sounds like devin witherspoon is just as as tenacious and physical as they come out of this Mm -hmm. draft class and and to pair him with woolen dude that's that sends shivers down my spine. Um, and, and Derek Hall is just a beast of a player. And so is, is Zach Charbonnet. They called him the, the most physical running back in this draft. Anthony Bradford, dude, you know, 335 pounds at, at right guard is one of the most physical uh, right guard uh, guys in this class. Cameron Young, obviously, in the middle. He's one of the strongest players in this draft at, at just 308 pounds, I believe. Um, so he's going to get a little bigger uh, eventually. And then Jarek Reed, obviously, is a little feisty guy at, at like 5'8", 189 or something like that. And Kenny McIntosh is also a very physical player. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's uh, there is a, there's a toughness to this draft class. And, um, and I like that. I like the fact that they went, um, they went in that direction. I mean, last year they went, um, you know, with the cornerbacks and a couple of offensive tackles and, and, uh, you know, that kind of thing, an outside linebacker who is known as a pass rusher, not really like a thumper or anything, you know what I mean? So to follow up that gra- draft class, which worked out really well, but it had mm-hmm. um, not necessarily the... the it was toughness. more focused on speed. Yeah, yeah. It, it it wasn't built around, you know, that, that toughness and physicality to back up that speed draft with a toughness draft and really, especially in defense, just really start to build out uh, the roster in a better way, in a more complete way, um, really ended up feeling like a good draft class. Yeah, because it wasn't speed. I mean, Jackson Smith and uh, Jigba is uh, is a four or five guy. Um, Derek Hall has good speed for his his position, but he's still a, a more stout uh, edge player at at two fifty five. But he he looks like a truck. Zach Charbonnet is a, a four or five guy. He's not a very you know speedy guy. Um, and and Kenny McIntosh ran a four six two forty. That's one of the reasons why he fell. So they didn't go after speed in this draft. They went after toughness, resilience, grit, all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff, strength. Um, cool, fun. You know, it it'd be great if they did this every year. Just have that little insight. You know, there's no uh, there's no loss. You know, the league's not going to come up with some you know inside information that they'll they're going to be able to use next year. I think that that was really well written and crafted. To, to avoid that, but yet give insights to what was actually happening at the time. Um, it's just fascinating. It kind of gives us a little more of a window into the process because you and I are totally into the process of oh, yeah. roster building and strategy. And um, so it's cool for just us. Now, I don't know if anybody else out there is going to really appreciate this, but, you know, I, I did. I know you did. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it, this was fun. and. Um, it was fun just to see that. And I love the fact that it kept coming back to just trust the board, take the guy that's at the very top of the, of the board, just take him and don't worry about it. Um, cause that means you, if you, you're not reaching, you're just getting the best football player that's available when you pick. And, and it's interesting there's nothing wrong too, with that. because no matter how hard we tried and we tried hard, Keith. I mean, this is one of the most studied drafts that I've ever done. And I've been doing this for a long time um, before the show, just on my own. Uh, and since the show really kind of diving into it, <clears throat> this is one of the, the years where I just dove in and went, you know, deep in, in players and so forth. And it just shows how, even with all that work, how far apart my board was compared to the Seahawks board. Um, and I don't know how those get closer they get reconciled or how we figure out what they're going to do in, in a draft. It's just, 
it's it's almost impossible. I mean, you uh, had a great shadow draft uh, in, in the previous show where your picks, where you picked players were within, you know, I'm just going to say seven to 10 picks of where they actually went in the draft, which is excellent throughout the yeah, entire were, process. You know, there were a few that were really hard to further do. away, but, but the fact that my board ended up being pretty reasonable compared to the NFL board, um, I feel good about because I mean, you we have like the consensus big board uh nfl mock draft beta database but i don't like it's there and i know that it's it's a, a bunch of um media guys all their stuff is kind of congealed into one one uh thing but i didn't go through that i went through my board and i went with guys like um yasir abdullah the uh, af- uh super athletic linebacker out of louisville and you know they had him going in like the sixth round and i felt weird taking him in the fourth round then the NFL took him with the first pick of the fifth round. So I'm like, okay, so I'm not that far off, even though it felt weird and and, and it felt like I was doing something that was going to come back and bite me on the show. Um, it ended up working out. So yeah, um, traits I, or yeah. And I do like drafting traits. I mean, that's, that's part of it. Uh, I learned that from Zach Whitman um, from Seahawk Twitter and also from mm-hmm. three Sigma athlete. Like he really, did a lot, a big study on athleticism and, and what it means and and uh, NFL success and that kind of stuff and learned a lot from from listening to him. And um, yeah, I mean, you got that kind of athleticism and speed, draft him. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get out of here. Find Keith on Twitter at Myers NFL. You can find me at NWC Hawk. Uh, the show's on YouTube. Uh, if you're watching the show, you know that. If you're not, if you're listening to this on the audio side, we've got a YouTube channel check it out just look up seahawks playbook on youtube and hit that subscribe button find us on your favorite podcast platforms all of them essentially and uh, if you find one out there that we're not on we'll make sure we we have that yeah let us know we'll we'll make sure we get added to it all right take care guys see ya go hawks seahawks playbook podcast listeners thanks for joining us for another edition of the show you can find us on twitter bill is at nw seahawk Keith is at Myers NFL, and the show is at Hawks Playbook. You can listen and subscribe to the show at SeahawksPlaybook.com. Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.